I'm about to record this. I know that's the last thing. Okay. Family and Bone Soldiers, I'm the professor, and this is the moment of truth. As we approach the first presidential election since the January 6th insurrection, we are seeing shadows of the resurgence of the far-right political movement of the past. Our next guest has a look at how the John Birch Society's teachings are being mirrored in the Trump MAGA movement. First of all, I've been telling you about the John Birch Society since at least 2017 with my now classic video, Why Roger Ailes Isn't Going Away. And just this past Sunday, I reminded you again with my takedown of Bethany Mandel. The best way to find out what the enemy is doing is to follow the money because that's what white supremacy's power is based on. See who's paying for these right wing nuts like Rufo and Mandel to be put on TV and who's able to pay for them to get publicity. And when you follow the money, you see the same handful of organizations, which are funded by the same handful of wealthy conservative ideologues, and they're the ones who keep putting out this racist rhetoric. The white right took a beating three years back, and combined with the demoralizing of seeing a biracial man in the White House a few years earlier with his 100% black wife, that was enough for them to go off the deep end. Not that they were very far from it already. So the strategy now is political scorched earth. And it's being carried out by many of the richest, most well-established and powerful entities in the country. Occasionally, you've heard me talk about so-called accelerationists. Now, what that means is you got these white supremacists who want to speed up the what they see as inevitable collapse of American society. These white supremacists, like the Proud Boys, Three Percenters, and Oath Keepers, they think that they can use the chaos of a broken American society to start killing people, black people that is, with the stockpiles of guns that they've amassed, and then they can institute their glorious white ethnostate. In their minds, the fall of America is a fait accompli, and they think they'll take complete advantage of it through violence. But first, they gotta bring it down now, right now. As they see it, American society, which means the absolutely white-oriented racialist paradigm, is in free fall. To them, they only have a little while before a white non-Hispanic becomes a minority nationwide. So they're in a crisis. Up until now, for hundreds of years, the rationale they've been using for why they're in the position they're in is because they're the majority. And that's just the way it is, because of the demographics. But the demographics have been changing. So as they see it, they only have a few years to try to declare permanent white rule. What you're seeing in Florida is not some attention-seeking exercise alone. What they're doing is they're showing you what they want American society to be. And they already know that they're not the majority, but as they see it, history has shown that it's usually a mobilized, well-armed minority who are able to take over a country and institute their rule over everyone else. That's what they think this is all going to lead to. Recently, the Florida GOP legislature announced a bill that would demand anyone who so much as mentions Ron DeSantis' name or the names of any Florida state legislative members to have to register themselves with the state and give the legislature all their personal income information as well. And if you refuse, you would be subjected to a fine. This is exactly what Vladimir Putin has done in Russia, by the way. If you disagree with any of his policies, if you even have one penny that comes from outside of Russia, you are labeled a foreign agent, and by state law, you must declare that on anything you say publicly, be it blog posts, Twitter posts, YouTube videos, whatever. If you post something on Twitter, you have to post that you are a foreign agent. If you post something on YouTube, you have to start your videos with a disclaimer saying you're a foreign agent. 
Failure to do so results in fines and a prison sentence. Even the fools in white leftist media cable who try to claim well, the Republicans are flirting with fascism, now they have no choice but to admit that the Republicans are wholesale consummating the relationship. The white media keeps lying because that's their job, as if what DeSantis and his racist pals are doing in Florida is just a political stunt and nothing more. It's meant to get them some attention and that they don't actually mean any of the things that they're doing. The truth, however, is that the white media likes a number of these measures. Because as we've explained to the black media many times, the white media was attacking woke long before DeSantis and his pals started doing so. Obama, James Carville, Jim Clyburn, they attacked demands that the police be punished as being woke and say, so you gotta stop with all this. The first real attack on woke from politicians didn't start with the Republicans. It started with the Democrats and it had to do with the police. The white media and the white left share as much anti-black hatred as the white right. So as they see it, letting the GOP put laws in place that attack black activism and black free speech is useful to the white left because they also want the same thing. But what the white media, even the so-called left media, won't say is that even if you believe DeSantis is simply going to extremes just to get attention, you can't deny that the wealthy right-wing donors who fund him and the GOP are not joking at all. These laws are exactly what they've been talking about for decades now, and it's not just for show. For them, this is a real war that they're waging. The racist, sheltered plutocrats like Robert Mercer, the billionaire tech investor who helped to fund Trump's campaign, William Regnery, who was the Deep Pockets publisher behind Richard Spencer and the alt-right, these are the kinds of individuals, the dyed-in-the-wool ideologues, who have been pushing the kind of right-wing extremism that you're seeing in Florida and other states. When you hear people like Tucker Carlson, who himself comes from a family that's handed down generational wealth from father to child, talking about America being only for the right kind of people who believe the right things and that being American is a mindset. Well, being American is more than just if you were born here. It's also a mindset, too. And exactly whose mindset is his kind talking about? Whose mindset defines American? Theirs. The GOP is not turning authoritarian. They're not becoming fascists. They have always been fascists. This is just them putting aside all pretense. Even so, you have the white leftist media trying to whitewash it and not alienate all those casual racist read white moderates who they're hoping to woo from Fox News. They try to ever so slightly minimize the racism because they too want to appeal to the exact same demographic. They want to try to grow their audience so that they can get more advertiser revenue. So they can't say what's going on. And speaking of rewriting history, we have the brain dead commentary of Joe the Schmo Scarborough, who I should remind you tried to defend the murder of Tamir Rice by claiming that the toy gun's orange tip had been removed and that's what the cops saw. He and Mika Brzezinski both were doing that. But when the video became public showing that the police skidded to a halt and shot that child dead in less than three seconds, completely contradicting the police's own false report, by the way, Scarborough and Brzezinski, rather than admit they were wrong, they just dropped the issue altogether and stopped talking about it. Uh, when Ronald Reagan first started campaigning in 1966, Brother John Bircher supported him, and he was told pretty early on that uh, he had to distance himself, and he... He came out with a pithy statement. I, I know Matthew will know it far better than me, but something along the lines of, you know, if they support me, they're going to have to support my views, not not vice versa. 
this same Joe Scarborough now tells us that when Ronald Reagan was running to become governor of California in 66, he was told to distance himself from the John Birch Society. And Scarborough says Reagan replied that they will have to support his views, not vice versa. After that, Scarborough immediately hurries away without adding anything else. This is how the white media miseducates and indoctrinates the public, by giving half-truths and selectively edited snippets. Well, where I'm from, if you're not telling the entire truth, you've told a whole lie. While Scarborough was trying to invent fairy tales about what Reagan was doing in the 60s and 70s, let me tell you what he actually did. Just a little over six months into his first term, he signed into law the Mulford Act, which was the first gun ban in the United States and which was also endorsed and supported by the National Rifle Association. Why did Ronald Reagan, a Republican, do that? Because the Mulford Act was a direct response to the Black Panthers exercising their Second Amendment right to bear arms, which they did publicly, in front of police stations. Neither Reagan nor the NRA nor anyone else cared about white racist Klansmen carrying rifles in public, many of them being police and sheriff's deputies. But when black people exercise their right to bear arms, there needs to be a law. So much for conservatives believing in the right of citizens to bear arms, huh? But Reagan wasn't done yet. In 1971, while still governor of California, he called Richard Nixon. In fact, the very first video I posted on this YouTube channel was about that phone call. Even if you've already seen it, it's certainly worth reviewing. The reason that then-Governor Reagan made that call was because he was furious that African delegates to the UN chose to recognize the People's Republic of China as members of the UN, and they expelled Taiwan, which has been simply known as the Republic of China. Reagan was infuriated when he saw African dignitaries celebrating that outcome. So Reagan called up his buddy Tricky Dick to cry on his shoulder. Society was so supportive of Ronald Reagan's gubernatorial bid, do you? Also, on a side note, had it not been for the efforts of black Americans like Walter White, Israel would never have existed. It was black Americans who were the only ones seen as having the moral legitimacy to persuade the African nations to withdraw their opposition to Israel being recognized as a state by the UN. Well, now that we've had a peek at what Reagan was up to when he was governor of California, I think we understand now what he meant when he said the John Birch Society would have to change their views to support his. What he meant was the Birchers would have to become more radically racist like he was. And one more thing that Scarborough conveniently left out. When Ronald Reagan ran for president in 1980, he began his campaign in Philadelphia, Mississippi. Now, a lot of you didn't even know there was a town called Philadelphia, Mississippi. Well, there's not much to the place. Even today, it only has a population of a little under 7,000 people. 
So why would Ronald Reagan, governor of California, visit a tiny hamlet in Mississippi that didn't have any big money and doesn't have any people there? Why would he begin his presidential campaign in that place in particular? What made it so important when nobody even knew it existed? It was because there's one thing and one thing only that Philadelphia, Mississippi is known for. It's the place where the three civil rights workers, Cheney, Goodman, and Schwerner, were murdered in 1964 by sheriff's deputies. Just two years before Reagan allegedly was telling the John Burke Society that they would have to support his views. That's what was going on at the time that Reagan was running for governor of California, and clearly he kept that little incident in mind. Ronald Reagan began his campaign for the presidency in that little tiny hole in the wall town because he wanted to make it clear he stood for racist violence against black people and that he was the white man's candidate. This is why the John Birch Society supported Reagan's gubernatorial bid. And this is what Joe Scarborough didn't tell you. That's why you need the black media. I posted a hell of a lot of videos on this channel, and I'll tell you right now, I do this as a kind of online database of sorts for my people. You should be going through the archives on this channel frequently, because as the black media, a big part of our mission is to be way ahead of the curve, years and years ahead of it. A media is useless to you if it can't tell you what's coming before it gets here. So we talk about Reagan's racism, not merely to inform you of what he had done, but also so that when some half-cocked bigot like Joe Scarborough and his wrinkled racist side piece, Mika Brzezinski, decide to cover up the racism of people like Ronald Reagan, you'll be armed with the facts. You do yourself a great disservice if you don't go back and watch the past videos on this channel and others in the new black media. The bad guys make it a point to visit and revisit the racist propaganda that trash like Ben Shapiro and others put out. You owe it to yourself to become familiar with the truth. I was telling you about the John Birch Society years ago and how the wealthy racists like the Coors and Koch brothers put their money into these racist groups. I've been telling you about the Heritage Foundation, created and funded by wealthy beer magnate Joseph Coors. And why did he create the Heritage Foundation? because conservative archetype William F. Buckley turned on the John Birch Society and denounced them. And that being the case, Joseph Coors, who had been a big contributor to them, needed a substitute group to shift his money to, so he invented one. But you won't hear this from the white media. Same thing with these think tanks. Both the white left and the white right play the same game, use the same tactics, and do it for the same reason, to control black people, the only true opposition to white supremacy. Neither the Democrats nor the Republicans is trying to help us. They only say what they think they have to to try to get us to support their agenda, but nothing that would support ours. Kind of like Reagan saying the Birchers would have to support his views, he wasn't supporting theirs. Replace Reagan with Democrats and Birchers with black people, and you have the exact same dynamic that we get from Clinton, Obama, Hillary, Biden, and all the rest. Places like this are the only places you're gonna get the truth. Nobody else is operating in your interest. I don't point you to the past videos on this channel to toot my own horn. I do it to assure you that the information you get here is better than the propaganda you're gonna get from the white media. We're years ahead of the curve. The stuff I posted from 2020 is just now coming to pass. Some of it has yet to, which is why even our old stuff is more current and cutting edge than anything the white media has posted today or will post in the next 12 months. By the time you hear about it from the white media, you are months, if not years, behind. 
So as usual, the white media is pulling up the rear, telling you things you already knew years ago because you actually listened to an actual information source, one that operates in your interest. Now more than ever, it matters who you get your news and views from. Because by the time the white media finally gets around to telling you about something, it will already be too late. Good day, and be one. I'd like to take a moment to mention some of our contributors. Alexandria Sturgeon, Emmanuel Williams, Cyberdyne 100, Rebellious Zoe, and Brian Walton. Salute to them and thank you to everyone for listening, liking, and sharing this message. Black empowerment only exists because of you. Family and home soldiers, I'm the professor, and this is the moment of truth. As we approach the first presidential election since the January 6th insurrection, we are seeing shadows of the resurgence of the far-right political movement of the past. Our next guest has a look at how the John Birch Society's teachings are being mirrored in the Trump MAGA movement. First of all, I've been telling you about the John Birch Society since at least 2017 with my now classic video, Why Roger Ailes Isn't Going Away. And just this past Sunday, I reminded you again with my takedown of Bethany Mandel. The best way to find out what the enemy is doing is to follow the money, because that's what white supremacy's power is based on. See who's paying for these white wing nuts like Rufo and Mandel to be put on TV, and who's able to pay for them to get publicity. And when you follow the money, you see the same handful of organizations, which are funded by the same handful of wealthy conservative ideologues, and they're the ones who keep putting out this racist rhetoric. The white right took a beating three years back, and combined with the demoralizing of seeing a biracial man in the White House a few years earlier with his 100% black wife, that was enough for them to go off the deep end. Not that they were very far from it already. So the strategy now is political scorched earth. And it's being carried out by many of the richest, most well-established and powerful entities in the country. Occasionally, you've heard me talk about so-called accelerationists. Now, what that means is you got these white supremacists who want to speed up the, what they see as inevitable collapse of American society. These white supremacists, like the Proud Boys, Three Percenters, and Oath Keepers, they think that they can use the chaos of a broken American society to start killing people, black people that is, with the stockpiles of guns that they've amassed, and then they can institute their glorious white ethnostate. In their minds, the fall of America is a fait accompli, and they think they'll take complete advantage of it through violence. But first, they gotta bring it down now, right now. As they see it, American society, which means the absolutely white-oriented racialist paradigm, is in free fall. To them, they only have a little while before a white non-Hispanic becomes a minority nationwide. So they're in a crisis. Up until now, for hundreds of years, the rationale they've been using for why they're in the position they're in is because they're the majority. And that's just the way it is, because of the demographics. But the demographics have been changing. So as they see it, they only have a few years to try to declare a permanent white rule. What you're seeing in Florida is not some attention-seeking exercise alone. What they're doing is they're showing you what they want American society to be. And they already know that they're not the majority, but as they see it, history has shown that it's usually a mobilized, well-armed minority who are able to take over a country and institute their rule over everyone else. That's what they think this is all going to lead to. 
Recently, the Florida GOP legislature announced a bill that would demand anyone who so much as mentions Ron DeSantis's name or the names of any Florida state legislative members to have to register themselves with the state and give the legislature all their personal income information as well. And if you refuse, you would be subjected to a fine. This is exactly what Vladimir Putin has done in Russia, by the way. If you disagree with any of his policies, if you even have one penny that comes from outside of Russia, you are labeled a foreign agent. And by state law, you must declare that on anything you say publicly, be it blog posts, Twitter posts, YouTube videos, whatever. If you post something on Twitter, you have to post that you are a foreign agent. If you post something on YouTube, you have to start your videos with a disclaimer saying you're a foreign agent. Failure to do so results in fines and a prison sentence. Even the fools in white leftist media cable who try to claim well, the Republicans are flirting with fascism now they have no choice but to admit that the Republicans are wholesale consummating the relationship. The white media keeps lying because that's their job, as if what DeSantis and his racist pals are doing in Florida is just a political stunt and nothing more. It's meant to get them some attention and that they don't actually mean any of the things that they're doing. The truth, however, is that the white media likes a number of these measures because as we've explained in the black media many times, the white media was attacking woke long before DeSantis and his pals started doing so. Obama, James Carville, Jim Clyburn, they attacked demands that the police be punished as being woke and say, so you gotta stop with all this. The first real attack on woke from politicians didn't start with the Republicans. It started with the Democrats and it had to do with the police. The white media and the white left share as much anti-black hatred as the white right. So as they see it, letting the GOP put laws in place that attack black activism and black free speech is useful to the white left because they also want the same thing. But what the white media, even the so-called left media, won't say is that even if you believe DeSantis is simply going to extremes just to get attention, you can't deny that the wealthy right-wing donors who fund him and the GOP are not joking at all. These laws are exactly what they've been talking about for decades now, and it's not just for show. For them, this is a real war that they're waging. The racist, sheltered plutocrats like Robert Mercer, the billionaire tech investor who helped to fund Trump's campaign, William Regnery, who was the Deep Pockets publisher behind Richard Spencer and the alt-right, these are the kinds of individuals that died in the wool ideologues who have been pushing the kind of right-wing extremism that you're seeing in Florida and other states. When you hear people like Tucker Carlson, who himself comes from a family that's handed down generational wealth from father to child, talking about America being only for the right kind of people who believe the right things and that being American is a mindset. Well, being American is more than just if you were born here. It's also a mindset, too. And exactly whose mindset is his kind talking about? Whose mindset defines American? Theirs. The GOP is not turning authoritarian. They're not becoming fascists. They have always been fascists. This is just them putting aside all pretense. Even so, you have the white leftist media trying to whitewash it and not alienate all those casual racist read white moderates who they're hoping to woo from Fox News. They try to ever so slightly minimize the racism because they too want to appeal to the exact same demographic. They want to try to grow their audience so that they can get more advertiser revenue. So they can't say what's going on. And speaking of rewriting history, we have the brain dead commentary of Joe the Schmo Scarborough, who I should remind you tried to defend the murder of Tamir Rice by claiming that the toy gun's orange tip had been removed 
Lincoln. That's what the cops saw. He and Mika Brzezinski both were doing that. But when the video became public showing that the police skidded to a halt and shot that child dead in less than three seconds, completely contradicting the police's own false report, by the way, Scarborough and Brzezinski, rather than admit they were wrong, they just dropped the issue altogether and stopped talking about it. Uh, when Ronald Reagan first started campaigning in 1966, Father John Bircher supported him, and he was told pretty early on that uh, he had to distance himself, and he, he came out with a pithy statement. I, I know Matthew will know it far better than me, but something along the lines of, you know, if they support me, they're going to have to support my views, not, not vice versa. This same Joe Scarborough now tells us that when Ronald Reagan was running to become governor of California in 66, he was told to distance himself from the John Birch Society. And Scarborough says Reagan replied that they will have to support his views, not vice versa. After that, Scarborough immediately hurries away without adding anything else. This is how the white media miseducates and indoctrinates the public, by giving half-truths and selectively edited snippets. Well, where I'm from, if you're not telling the entire truth, you've told a whole lie. While Scarborough was trying to invent fairy tales about what Reagan was doing in the 60s and 70s, let me tell you what he actually did. Just a little over six months into his first term, he signed into law the Mulford Act, which was the first gun ban in the United States and which was also endorsed and supported by the National Rifle Association. Why did Ronald Reagan, a Republican, do that? Because the Mulford Act was a direct response to the Black Panthers exercising their Second Amendment right to bear arms, which they did publicly in front of police stations. Neither Reagan nor the NRA nor anyone else cared about white racist Klansmen carrying rifles in public, many of them being police and sheriff's deputies. But when black people exercise their right to bear arms, there needs to be a law. So much for conservatives believing in the right of citizens to bear arms, huh? But Reagan wasn't done yet. In 1971, while still governor of California, he called Richard Nixon. In fact, the very first video I posted on this YouTube channel was about that phone call. Even if you've already seen it, it's certainly worth reviewing. The reason that then-Governor Reagan made that call was because he was furious that African delegates to the UN chose to recognize the People's Republic of China as members of the UN, and they expelled Taiwan, which has been simply known as the Republic of China. Reagan was infuriated when he saw African dignitaries celebrating that outcome. So Reagan called up his buddy Tricky Dick to cry on his shoulder. Black Americans like Walter White, Israel would never have existed. 
It was black Americans who were the only ones seen as having the moral legitimacy to persuade the African nations to withdraw their opposition to Israel being recognized as a state by the UN. Well, now that we've had a peek at what Reagan was up to when he was governor of California, I think we understand now what he meant when he said the John Birch Society would have to change their views to support his. What he meant was the Birchers would have to become more radically racist like he was. And one more thing that Scarborough conveniently left out. When Ronald Reagan ran for president in 1980, he began his campaign in Philadelphia, Mississippi. Now, a lot of you didn't even know there was a town called Philadelphia, Mississippi. Well, there's not much to the place. Even today, it only has a population of a little under 7,000 people. So why would Ronald Reagan, governor of California, visit a tiny hamlet in Mississippi that didn't have any big money and doesn't have any people there? Why would he begin his presidential campaign in that place in particular? What made it so important when nobody even knew it existed? It was because there's one thing and one thing only that Philadelphia, Mississippi is known for. It's the place where the three civil rights workers, Cheney, Goodman, and Schwerner, were murdered in 1964 by sheriff's deputies. Just two years before Reagan allegedly was telling the John Birch Society that they would have to support his views. That's what was going on at the time that Reagan was running for governor of California, and clearly he kept that little incident in mind. Ronald Reagan began his campaign for the presidency in that little tiny hole in the wall town because he wanted to make it clear he stood for racist violence against black people and that he was the white man's candidate. This is why the John Birch Society supported Reagan's gubernatorial bid. And this is what Joe Scarborough didn't tell you. That's why you need the black media. I posted a hell of a lot of videos on this channel, and I'll tell you right now, I do this as a kind of online database of sorts for my people. You should be going through the archives on this channel frequently, because as the black media, a big part of our mission is to be way ahead of the curve, years and years ahead of it. A media is useless to you if it can't tell you what's coming before it gets here. So we talk about Reagan's racism, not merely to inform you of what he had done, but also so that when some half-cocked bigot like Joe Scarborough and his wrinkled racist side piece, Mika Brzezinski, decide to cover up the racism of people like Ronald Reagan, you'll be armed with the facts. You do yourself a great disservice if you don't go back and watch the past videos on this channel and others in the new black media. The bad guys make it a point to visit and revisit the racist propaganda that trash like Ben Shapiro and others put out. You owe it to yourself to become familiar with the truth. I was telling you about the John Birch Society years ago and how the wealthy racists like the Coors and Koch brothers put their money into these racist groups. I've been telling you about the Heritage Foundation, created and funded by wealthy beer magnate Joseph Coors. And why did he create the Heritage Foundation? Because conservative archetype William F. Buckley turned on the John Birch Society and denounced them. And that being the case, Joseph Coors, who had been a big contributor to them, needed a substitute group to shift his money to, so he invented one. But you won't hear this from the white media. Same thing with these think tanks. Both the white left and the white right play the same game, use the same tactics, and do it for the same reason. To control black people. The only true opposition to white supremacy. Neither the Democrats nor the Republicans is trying to help us. They only say what they think they have to to try to get us to support their agenda. But nothing that would support ours. Kind of like Reagan saying the Birchers would have to support his views. He wasn't supporting theirs. 
replace Reagan with Democrats and Bergers with black people, and you have the exact same dynamic that we get from Clinton, Obama, Hillary, Biden, and all the rest. Places like this are the only places you're going to get the truth. Nobody else is operating in your interest. I don't point you to the past videos on this channel to toot my own horn. I do it to assure you that the information you get here is better than the propaganda you're going to get from the white media. We're years ahead of the curve. The stuff I posted from 2020 is just now coming to pass. Some of it has yet to, which is why even our old stuff is more current and cutting edge than anything the white media has posted today or will post in the next 12 months. By the time you hear about it from the white media, you are months, if not years, behind. So as usual, the white media is pulling up the rear, telling you things you already knew years ago because you actually listened to an actual information source, one that operates in your interests. Now more than ever, it matters who you get your news and views from. Because by the time the white media finally gets around to telling you about something, it will already be too late. Good day, and be one. I'd like to take a moment to mention some of our contributors. Alexandria Sturgeon, Emmanuel Williams, Cyberdyne 100, Rebellious Zoe, and Brian Walton. Salute to them, and thank you to everyone for listening, liking, and sharing this message. Black empowerment only exists because of you. Criminal case of Charles Johnson. The black activist who was dogpiled by cops and arrested at the housing march. He's been charged with attempted robbery, menacing, constructing a roadway, all for his role during the demonstration in front of the police officer's house on August 3rd, 2020, in Colorado Springs. Charles Johnson's lawyer is named Allison Blackwell. She believes the charges against her client are politically motivated. So during a hearing, she calls April Rogers as a witness over the objections of prosecutors who do not want the undercover cop to testify. For the hearing, a lawyer representing the U.S. Department of Justice is sitting at the prosecution's table. When you were marching in the housing march, were you doing that for the Colorado Springs Police Department? I was uh, under the authority of the FBI. Um, how many other FBI agents were in that march? There's about 20 agents. Does the Colorado Springs Police Department know that you're working for the FBI? Yes. So I want to talk about going back to the Chevette Center. Um, did you go feel something about that? I respect the answer. April is wearing a black dress with a black face mask to protect her undercover identity. She has long, dark brown hair, but it looks like a wig. A good one, but a wig all the same. On request, while on the witness stand, April pulls down her face mask, but only to her chin. Attorney Allison Blackwell asks April question after question. And nearly every time April answers, I respectfully decline to answer. She keeps looking over at the lawyer from the Justice Department. It's a truly bizarre scene, one of the strangest I've ever witnessed in a courtroom. This is a state courthouse. And in this case, the United States government is not a party. And yet, a Justice Department lawyer is instructing a local cop not to answer questions about a criminal case she helped investigate. Did you think that my client was a terrorist threat at any point? I respectfully decline to answer. You just say no. 
Someone else who declines to answer about any of this is the FBI. Officials in Colorado and Washington, D.C. refused to respond to a list of questions about the investigation in Colorado Springs. And in Denver, there's our old friend Mickey. And Mickey's about to face some trouble. Some activists from the Springs are about to post information online, alleging that the man behind the wheel of the silver hearse is a secret informant. And Mickey will respond with his own accusations. So there's a group that are a individual that's claiming that they are Antifa Colorado Springs. And in fact, that they, I believe that they are actually not Antifa Colorado Springs because I believe they are actually a cop. I, for one, have not been used or pleased about the fuckery that's going on. That's in the next episode. This is Trojan Hearse, season one of Alphabet Boys. Alphabet Boys is a production of Western Sound and iHeart Podcast. The show is reported, written, and hosted by me, Trevor Aronson. For more information about the series, or to drop us a tip, head to our website, alphabetboys.xyz. You can contact me on Twitter or Instagram, at Trevor Aronson. We believe this story is important and could result in changes to FBI oversight and public policy. I'm Ben Bowler. I'm Alex French. And I'm Smedley Butler. Join us for this sordid tale of ambition, treason, and what happens when evil tycoons have too much time on their hands. Listen to Let's Start a Coup on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you find your favorite shows. I'm Dr. Romani, and I am back with season two of my podcast, Navigating Narcissism. This season, we dive deeper into highlighting red flags and spotting the narcissist before they spot you. Each week, you'll hear stories from survivors who have navigated through toxic relationships, gaslighting, love problems, and their process of healing. Listen to Navigating Narcissism on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MySpace was the first major social media company. They made the internet be like a nightclub. And it was the first major social media company to collapse. My name is Joanna McNeil. On my new podcast, Main Accounts, the story of MySpace, I'm revisiting the early days of social media through the people who lived it. Listen to Main Accounts, the story of MySpace, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you find your favorite shows. Denver wasn't the only city in Colorado that saw racial justice protests and clashes. There was also a lot going on south of Denver in the much smaller city of Colorado Springs. In the summer of 2020, a nonprofit organization in Colorado Springs called the Chinook Center has opened their new office in a low rent strip mall near the airport. The founders are hoping to make it a gathering point for left-wing activists and organizations across the area. Not long after it opens, a young white woman named Chelsea shows up, offering to volunteer. She had like bright pink hair. She dressed in a way that was sort of um, noticeable. This is Samantha Christiansen, who co-founded the Chinook Center. Samantha is guarded with her language, a little politically correct even. I mean, there was, there was nothing wrong with the way that she dressed but it was noticeable, right? And for provoking certain types of 
I don't want, I didn't want to say that. I'll take that part out. Chelsea dressed in a way that was noticeable, Samantha says. What she won't say is what I'll say. Chelsea dressed in a way that was sexually provocative. Mini skirts, tall boots, fishnet stockings, a lot of skin on display. She implied over the course of like getting to know her or whatever that she was a sex worker to me. And I know other people, she told other people she was. That's John Christiansen, Samantha's husband, and one of the other co-founders of the Chinook Center. But yes, that was sort of her story. She had hinted at that it was like sex work, but never like outright came and said it. So I guess we all just assumed. And this is Autumn Carter Wallace, another Colorado Springs activist. I think somebody else had told me that and I just was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Like I never questioned it, which is very weird too, because I normally question everything. That's the one time I didn't. Just about everyone in the Colorado Springs activist community knew Chelsea, and most everyone thought she's a sex worker. But Chelsea isn't a sex worker. Chelsea isn't even her real name. And even though she doesn't drive a hearse, she does, just like Mickey Windecker, take orders from the FBI. I'm Trevor Aronson from Western Sound and iHeart Podcasts. This is Alphabet Boys. Episode 8, The Springs. So we're going to leave Denver and take a break from the story of Mickey Windecker for just one episode. It might seem like a tangent, but trust me, it's not. The story of what happened 70 miles south in Colorado Springs ends up having big consequences for Mickey. The actual Colorado Springs investigation was only loosely connected to what Mickey was doing. But it reveals that what the FBI was up to in Denver wasn't isolated. It was part of a larger strategy. FBI investigative technique that likely played out in cities across the United States in the summer of 2020. The lead up to the racial justice demonstrations in Colorado Springs were similar to what happened in Denver, where a young black man, Elijah McClain, was killed during an encounter with police. There were protests, but things cooled down a bit. And then George Floyd was murdered in Minnesota. The same pattern, initial outrage over a killing, then cooled and flared again with national protests happened in the springs in august 2019 a man called 911 reporting that he'd been robbed at gunpoint by two young black men so i was walking down the street and some man just confronted me with a gun and they called me and tried to take my belongings the 911 caller then gave a description of the perpetrators and local police officers stopped two young black men near where the alleged robbery occurred. The encounter was recorded by one of the officer's body cameras. So we got a report of two people, similar descriptions, possibly having a gun, all right? So don't reach for your waist. We're gonna just check and make sure that you don't have a weapon, all right? Just as another police officer was coming behind the two men, one of them ran. The cops chased after him. Hands up, hands up, hands up! Get your hands up, get your hands up! The officer fired his gun multiple times and the young man was shot in the back. In the body cam video, 
Blood can be seen soaking through the left side of the injured man's shirt. There's also blood spilling on the street. A lot of blood. The man died later at the hospital. His name was Devon Bailey, and he was just 19 years old. Protesters went into the streets. After the Colorado Springs Police Department released the body cam footage, the shooting of Devon Bailey made national news. Newly released body cam video from Colorado Springs, a 19-year-old shot and killed by police at one point. The video shows his hands in the air running away. He's been shot. But a few months later, in November 2019, a grand jury declined to bring criminal charges against the officers involved in Devon's killing. The El Paso County District Attorney called the shooting a horrible tragedy, but said that the grand jury's decision is just. Then, George Floyd is killed by a cop in Minneapolis. In Denver, Colorado Springs, and cities across the country erupt in anger and activism. According to FBI internal reports, Mickey Windecker had provided information to federal agents about a racial justice activist in Colorado Springs. That information appears to have been used to launch a separate investigation there. And this is when a woman with long pink hair named Chelsea enters the Colorado Springs activist scene. She signs up to join the Democratic Socialists of America, the same political group Mickey allied with in Denver. Chelsea also contacts John Christiansen, one of the Chinook Center's founders, and volunteers to help around the office. We exchange messages. It's like, oh, I want to, I could do some administrative work for you guys, you know? And I'm like, that's great because that's like the most overwhelming thing, you know? It's like uploading email addresses and things like this, you know? It's a, it's a pain in the neck. What John and other activists at the Chinook Center don't realize at the time is Chelsea isn't really Chelsea. Her real name is April Rogers, and she's a young detective with the Colorado Springs Police Department. More after the break. What would you do if a secret cabal of the most powerful folks in the United States told you, hey, let's start a coup? Back in the 1930s, a Marine named Smedley Butler was all that stood between the U.S. and fascism. I'm Ben Bullock. And I'm Alex French. In our newest show, we take a darkly comedic and occasionally ridiculous deep dive into a story that has been buried for nearly a century. We've tracked down exclusive historical records. We've interviewed the world's foremost experts. We're also bringing you cinematic, historical recreations of moments left out of your history books. I'm Smedley Butler, and I got a lot to say. For one, my personal history is raw, inspiring, and mind-blowing. And for another, do we get the mattresses after we do the ads, or do we just have to do the ads? From My Heart Podcast and School of Humans, this is Let's Start a Coup. Listen to Let's Start a Coup on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you find your favorite shows. MySpace was the first major social media company. They made the internet, which up until then had been kind of like a nerdy space, feel like a nightclub, and also slightly dangerous. And it was the first major social media company to collapse. Rupert Murdoch lost lots and lots of money on MySpace, because it turned out it was actually not a good business. My name is Joanne McNeil. On my new podcast, Main Accounts, the story of MySpace, I'm revisiting the early days of social media through the people who lived it, the users. Because what happened in the MySpace era would have sweeping implications for all the platforms to follow. 
Listen to Main Accounts, the story of MySpace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you find your favorite shows. I'm Dr. Romney, and I am back with season two of my podcast, Navigating Narcissism. Narcissists are everywhere, and their toxic behavior and words can cause serious harm to your mental health. In our first season, we heard from Eileen Charlotte, who was love-bombed by the Tinder swindler. The worst part is that he can only be guilty for stealing the money from me, but he cannot be guilty for the mental part he did. And that's even way worse than the money he took. But I am here to help. As a licensed psychologist and survivor of narcissistic abuse myself, I know how to identify the narcissist in your life. Each week, you will hear stories from survivors who have navigated through toxic relationships, gaslighting, love bombing, and the process of their healing from these relationships. Listen to Navigating Narcissism on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Mickey in Denver and Chelsea, or April Rogers in Colorado Springs, have the same mandate from the FBI infiltrate racial justice activists and try to set them up in crimes. While Mickey is working directly with the FBI and getting cash payments in return, Chelsea is part of something called the Joint Terrorism Task Force, a partnership between local police and the FBI. And in Colorado Springs, the FBI and its partners in the local police come to the conclusion, without any discernible evidence, that the city's activist community is potentially dangerous and should be the target of a long, intrusive investigation. Colorado Springs saw its share of demonstrations during the summer of 2020, but it wasn't among the cities whose racial justice protests you'd hear about on the national news, like Minneapolis, Seattle, Portland, and Denver. The Springs is small, and it's very conservative, home to Air Force and Army bases, and a number of evangelical megachurches. It's also a popular place for retired military officers, as a result, the city's voter base is consistently conservative, and the left-wing activist community, while ambitious, is pretty small by comparison. But that left-wing activist community hit just the right buttons in Colorado Springs on August 3rd, 2020, the one-year anniversary of Devon Bailey's death. Dozens of activists gathered with signs and bullhorns in front of the house of Alan Van Land the Colorado Springs police officer who shot Devon Bailey in the back. The demonstrators blocked the road to the neighborhood and soon things got tense with threats escalating to a potential gun battle. One of the demonstrators, named Charles Johnson, got into an altercation with a man who was opposing the protest. Videos from the protest outside the Colorado Springs police officer's home made the rounds on social media, with right-wing commentators using the incident to allege that Antifa activists were becoming more dangerous. Michelle Malkin, a far-right commentator and conspiracy theorist, tweeted, 
it's not just Seattle and Portland and Austin and Twin Cities. It's freaking Colorado Springs. She later added, nowhere is safe. Nearly a year passes, and the same people who had organized the protest outside the cop's house, all the activists from the Chinook Center, they start putting together a march for housing rights. They plan it for July 31st, 2021, the same day the city has planned an expensive 150th anniversary celebration. That isn't a coincidence. It's intentional. A bit of a dick move, yeah. But the demonstrators aren't trying to be polite. So the actors from the Chinook Center march. They're wearing red shirts that read, housing is a human right, and carrying signs that read, rent is theft, and in Spanish, housing for all. Among the marchers is the committed young activist with pink hair and provocative clothing, whom everyone knows as Chelsea. Here's Samantha Christiansen, one of the founders of the Chinook Center again. And then the day of the housing march, I mean, I really hadn't seen her in a long, she wasn't someone I really thought of that often, right? So I saw her and she's very recognizable in her appearance. What Samantha and the other marchers don't realize is that the Colorado Springs Police Department, working with the FBI, is planning to arrest a bunch of them today. Oh, boys, we sit, we wait, we get paid. Nearby, sitting in a police cruiser, is local cop Scott Alamo. Alamo has his body camera on, and he's talking to other officers as the marchers are coming up the street. Well, I think we're going to arrest 20 fucking people. Dude, you obviously are underestimating how awesome we are. As the demonstrators are passing by, Scott Alamo, the local cop, sees John Christiansen, Samantha's husband, and another one of the march's organizers. Alamo calls him professor because John teaches sociology at a local college. Was the white guy? Yeah. Professor. Alamo pulls out what appears to be an intelligence report, and on every page are pictures of Christiansen and a dozen or so other marchers. It's like a rogues gallery, but these aren't mugshots. They're photos from social media, from Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. This document is likely the product of a new FBI program called Social Media Exploitation, developed during the summer of 2020. Under this program, the FBI partners with local law enforcement agencies to mine social media data and build files on people without probable cause for the search. As Scott Alamo is flipping through the pages of photos, he jokes about how violent the arrests are going to get. Boot to the face. Oh, it's Man. Boot to the face. Yeah, that pretty much does happen. Oh my God. About six cops surround a black man with a shaved head and tackle him to the ground. His name is Sean Walls. He's one of the primary organizers of Colorado Springs activist community. A few minutes later, the cops target another black man among the demonstrators. He's Charles Johnson, one of the men who got into the altercation earlier outside the Colorado Springs cops house. Four cops forced Charles to the ground, violently pulling his arms behind his back. 
sometimes you gotta laugh, right, to keep from crying. And we we had to laugh at just had like how fucking creepy that was. And it's like this will be fun when we get to disclose to Colorado Springs taxpayers that their money is going to police screenshotting my bikini pics. Wow. Following the search, and after police took Jacqueline's bike and her electronic devices into evidence, local prosecutors charged her with attempted aggravated assault on a police officer, a second-degree felony. But local police, working with the FBI, aren't done in Colorado Springs. They still have an undercover embedded inside the activist group. That's up to the break. What would you do if a secret cabal of the most powerful folks in the United States told you, hey, let's start a coup? Back in the 1930s, a Marine named Smedley Butler was all that stood between the U.S. and fascism. I'm Ben Bullock. And I'm Alex French. In our newest show, we take a darkly comedic and occasionally ridiculous deep dive into a story that has been buried for nearly a century. We've tracked out exclusive historical records. We've interviewed the world's foremost experts. We're also bringing you cinematic, historical recreations of moments left out of your history books. I'm Smedley Butler, and I got a lot to say. For one, my personal history is raw, inspiring, and mind-blowing. And for another, do we get the mattresses after we do the ads, or do we just have to do the ads? From My Heart Podcast and School of Humans, this is Let's Start a Coup. Listen to Let's Start a Coup on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you find your favorite shows. MySpace was the first major social media company. They made the internet, which up until then had been kind of like a nerdy space, feel like a nightclub, and also slightly dangerous. And it was the first major social media company to collapse. Rupert Murdoch lost lots and lots of money on MySpace because it turned out it was actually not a good business. My name is Joanne McNeil. On my new podcast, Main Accounts, the story of MySpace, I'm revisiting the early days of social media through the people who lived it, the users. Because what happened in the MySpace era would have sweeping implications for all the platforms to follow. Listen to Main Accounts, the story of MySpace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you find your favorite shows. I'm Dr. Romney, and I am back with season two of my podcast, Navigating Narcissism. Narcissists are everywhere, and their toxic behavior and words can cause serious harm to your mental health. In our first season, we heard from Eileen Charlotte, who was love-bombed by the Tinder swindler. The worst part is that he can only be guilty for stealing the money from me, but he cannot be guilty for the mental part he did. And that's even way worse than the money he took. But I am here to help. As a licensed psychologist and survivor of narcissistic abuse myself, I know how to identify the narcissist in your life. Each week, you will hear stories from survivors who have navigated through toxic relationships, gaslighting, love bombing, and the process of their healing from these relationships. Listen to Navigating Narcissism on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
In the springs, the pink-haired woman everyone knows as Chelsea starts digging in. She started friending a bunch of different people <laughs> on Facebook who were at the housing march. This is John Christiansen. He was among those arrested at the housing march. Like, in retrospect, that should have been a red flag. But, you know, I think it's one of those things people kind of come and go. Chelsea starts inviting activists over to her apartment. Always men. Remember, Chelsea dresses provocatively. And most of the activists are under the impression that she's a sex worker. I walk up these sketchy steps, open up this apartment, and there's two guys sitting there uh, with her. This is one of the activists Chelsea invites over. He agreed to be interviewed and recorded, as long as I refer to him by his nickname, Argum. Anyway, I need to tell you for context that Argum loves guns. Now, I'm a gun nut when it comes to like history and mechanical stuff. Like This is like my passion since I was a kid. And he started a local chapter of the Socialist Rifle Association, kind of like a left-wing version of the NRA, minus the money and corruption. Nothing at the SRA does is anything besides legal. And that's not me just doing it as playground. Like, I think our next last event was we went camping. <laughs> like, you know, it's nothing crazy. So when Art Young gets to Chelsea's apartment, it's weird. There are these two guys with Chelsea. And Chelsea's there, and she's like, hey, how you doing? He's my friend. Yeah, this is my half-brother. She pointed to this guy who's like 45. She, she looked at me like 22, 25, right? Points this guy that's 45 and says, this is my half-brother. And I'm like, no, it's not. I'm like, sure. And she's like, oh, go in, go in pitch and pitch him. We have beer and pizza. I'm like, cool. I go in there, there's like 20 fucking pizzas. <laughs> like an absurd amount of pizzas. I may be over-exaggerating, but enough that I was like, who the fuck are you feeding? Like, I know I'm like, kind of a chunky guy, but there's a lot of pizza here. And like 30 rack, and like cores in the fridge, and some mics hard. Everything about the situation made no fucking sense to me. Chelsea, with her friend and supposed half-brother sitting nearby, tells Artyom, that she needs his help to get a gun. She's like, hey, I want to get this. And I'm like, cool, yeah, that's great. I can go and source it for one of my friends. And yeah, we can just go down to a gun shop and do the background check when we buy it. He's like, oh, okay. That's what a conversation ended with. That's cool. It's clear to argue that Chelsea is suggesting that he finds an illegal gun something off the books from the black market. And I'm like, yeah, I'll source you a gun, no problem. I guarantee you I find find somebody who has one for sale, but we're not gonna might sell to you illegally. Like, no. Argyum leaves a little later, thinking the evening was bizarre, and half wondering whether Chelsea's <laughs> friends are undercover cops. And still wondering who's gonna eat all those pizzas. <laughs> then, not long after, Chelsea invites another activist over. Just as before, Chelsea has two people with her. I met up with her. Mike and Omar. This is Gabriel Paulson. These guys with Chelsea, Mike and Omar, they tell Gabriel that they're truckers. Mike was missing his left leg from the knee down. Omar was uh, kind of a Middle Eastern looking guy with big beard. Um, both had tattoos, both were very <laughs> Unlike Artyom, who quickly shuts down any discussion of illegal activity, Gabriel is intrigued by these guys. They ask Gabriel if he wants to buy any weapons. He said that he had grenades, TNT, um, uh, AK-47s, like fully automatic weapons. Gabriel says he'd be interested in seeing. According to the United States of America, Russia and China are attempting to shake up the international world order. They're bringing in a new world order. 
The National Security Council spokesperson John Kirby is warning at this moment in time that China, together with Russia, are two countries that are vying against what has been known as the international rules-based order that the United States of America and American allies, as well as partners, have brought up. This since World War II. They say they would like to rewrite the rules of the game globally. Kirby says that the United States of America will be watching carefully to see what emerges from the heralded meetings between the Chinese president and the Russian president, Vladimir Putin, that are happening this week inside of Russia. They have been increasing their cooperation, the USA warned, uh, and their relationships, certainly of late, says Kirby, uh, speaking of the two nuclear-powered countries. China at this moment wants to push forward a plan that is designed to end the Russian and Ukrainian war. This was Kirby telling the host at a uh, Biden administration meeting. They say that this is a dubious intention of China's when it comes to this war. What we have said before, Kirby warns, and we will say it again today, that if coming out of this meeting there's some sort of call for a ceasefire, speaking on China calling for a Russian ceasefire, that's going to be unacceptable because all that's going to do is ratify Russia's request or conquest to date. Now, what they're saying right now is they expect China to call for Russia and Ukraine to come to a ceasefire that will give credibility to Russia's current takes inside of Ukraine. They'll get Crimea, they'll get the other uh, parts of the countryside, and those will become new parts of Russian territory. The United States of America, NATO, and other European countries say that this is absolutely a no game. It's a, uh, it's a dead in the water call for a ceasefire because nothing will stop Russia from coming back and moving further into Ukraine. Belarus moving into a bordering country, Russia moving into Poland, moving into Norway, moving into Finland, and you're going to see this continue on in this war. Now, I believe that Russia and China both know that this is a false request, but what it does is in the international landscape, it says, look, we tried to come to an agreement, and the other side, the other party, is the one that will not. If you think of uh, dirty divorce lawyers inside of the United States of America and other countries, I'm sure, are similar, when you go to court and you say, look, we tried to come to some sort of agreement, we went to arbitration, we laid out, off a, uh, you know, we laid out a very clear and understandable list of requirements to come to an agreement, but it's the other party who is refusing to do anything about it. That gives the judge or the ruling order time to say, okay, well, why aren't you both trying to work together on this? We have an entire upsetting of the old world order. And like the United States of America admits, this is a conquest of American control since World War II and American allies. That's why the United States dollar is right now the reserve currency of the world. That's why Russia and China are working hard to upset this entire handbasket because it has not allowed the rest of the world to come up to par. They want their time for control. It's their time to lead. And that's exactly what they are trying to do. You're not going to see this war end. And in fact, you're going to see it intensify until your rubles can be used here in America, until your Chinese currency can be used around the world. It's already happening. You can buy things in all sorts of other countries with Chinese currency. 
China is buying their oil from Saudi Arabia with Chinese currency. India is buying oil with rubles and their own currency. We just have a change in place right now. Let me tell you, the United States of America is certainly scared. Now, Kirby says that he hopes China's president will keep lines of communication open with the current U.S. leader, but they don't see that as being a, uh, a promise in this coming conflict. We hope, he says, and we've said this before, that the president of China will call and talk to the president of Ukraine, Zelensky. He says, because we believe that the Chinese need to get the Ukrainian perspective here. Now, a former uh, national security advisor to, I believe it was the uh, Trump administration, that's H.R. McMaster, he noted that the president of China's friendship with Putin, their allies, is getting stronger despite all the issues surrounding the Russian and Ukrainian war. McMaster says, remember, it's really 10 years ago, almost to the day that the Chinese president made his first visit to Moscow and they declared a new special relationship because then they've just continued to double, or since then they've just continued to double down on this heavy reliance. And you're going to see China against the USA. You're going to see Russia against the USA. Will the USA win? Well, that's why we prepare. It's being reported now that the Polish ambassador to France says that either Ukraine will defend its independence today, or, remember, this is the Polish ambassador to France, or we, speaking for Poland, will be forced to enter into this war. Here we have open admissions of conflicts coming and you have people in your community, I'm sure your friends and family, who really could care less what's going on. It's not in their perspective. It's not in their purview because they just don't even have a consideration to understand the depth of what is happening. Guys, if you could have went back before World War II and you could have made preparations and changes, if your great-grandparents could have, they would have put themselves in positions of power during and after World War II. That's exactly what I want for you. Now, something is definitely up. I want you to listen to what the CEO to Hess Oil is saying. This is his quote. Oil and gas will be needed for decades to come, he stresses. This is the Hess Corporation CEO, John Hess himself. He says that oil and gas are key to having an affordable, just, and secure energy transition. He, an oil tycoon and giant, says the biggest challenge is going to be investment toward that transition and having policies in place that encourage that investment. So I want you to ask yourself here, what is really going on? What is really happening? Now, I personally believe that the answer comes in two parts. First, there is a problem with oil production. Either it's a peak oil concern or some of some sort, or it could be as mundane as an understanding that the United States of America and the West, we are at a world war. And the oil producing countries are going to be making it near impossible for gasoline, for diesel, and for petroleum byproducts to be affordable in the, uh, or even just accessible in the years to come. Now, the second part is that there is, for one of those reasons, 
going to be an inevitable shift away from oil. And we are seeing corporations in the industry right now, in the industry, call for massive shifts in investment toward non-energy resources. Let me put a warning to you right now. An oil tycoon like the CEO of Hess Oil coming out and blatantly having to reaffirm investment away from his own production is a problem. Now, you and I, of course, don't know how large of a problem this might be yet. But if it is a supply or a production concern, then we are going to have decades, literal decades of pain that are on the way right now. Reports are coming in from Sweden about an unusual outbreak of influenza B. Now, some cases, which have been among people under the age of 18 years old without any underlying disease, no underlying immunity conditions, have been very seriously ill with complications such as encephalitis and myocarditis. Kelly asked me what I thought this was, whether it was some sort of mutation. You know, we don't really know everything we think we know about viruses. And every virologist will tell you that. We are basically just coming to an understanding of what is actually going on there. Now, either there is some sort of mutation taking place out in the real world, out in the open, or immune systems have absolutely been dumped on. And this is the result. Russia is warning right now, putting a warning out to America that any continued U.S. drone flights over the Black Sea are a sign of direct United States of American military involvement in the war with Russia. The Syrian Observatory has said that Russia is bringing military reinforcements to Aleppo. This will include things like armored vehicles, anti-aircraft guns. Guys, when you start to look at the larger picture here, you have Israel versus Syria, Israel versus Iran. You have Ukraine versus Russia. You have Poland, Norway, Finland versus Russia. You have Taiwan versus China. You have South Korea, the Philippines, America. America is literally the backbone of each of these countries' abilities to withstand a changing world order. The problem is that the United States of America will not be able to withstand a multi-directional war right now or in the future. We don't have the weapons for it. We don't have the men and women for it. We don't have the capabilities. And I dare say we don't have the heart for it anymore. What's going to actually happen? America is going to have to pick and choose. I told you on a recent video, and I just saw some more images coming out of facilities, weapon creation facilities, industrial, the military industrial complex at work alive in the United States of America, building rounds of massive amounts of ammunition. They're not for us. They're to send off to Ukraine, to send off to neighboring countries, to get ready for this war. Why? Because just like during World War II, your aunts and uncles, your grandparents, they were, if not in the war, they were participating in one form or another. And so what we have is a small but building block to that happening again. Now, this isn't good. Chile is reporting hundreds, 
thousands even of sea lions that have died from the H5N1 bird flu that crossed over the species barrier from birds over into sea life. This is much higher than the previous re, uh, previously reported 3,500 sea lions that died in the neighboring country of Peru. Now, whether the earth is trying to take it back, whether we have some sort of mutation that caused this crossover, what we do know is that we're entering into that time again where we are going to see massive, uh, just massive amounts of die-offs in sea life. We're going to see weird ha things happen in the earth. You're probably going to see a lot more earthquakes. You're likely going to see more volcanic eruptions. The droughts are going to be more crop destroying, food crop destroying. You're going to see worse and worse wildfires. You better start getting ready today. And how you build your buffer against the wildfires isn't necessarily going outside and actually taking a tractor and building your own physical buffer. It's getting your pantry stocked up making a plan, writing down on a sheet of paper that says, okay, when do I leave? And then you have something to go back to. You have a game plan. You think, look at look at the NFL, right? I'm not a sports guy, but I know that every business and every sports team has a playbook. You need to build your own playbook. That playbook is going to say, if this happens, if my enemy and the enemy to your survival is any calamity, if this happens, here is what I do. And then when this happens, you go back to your playbook and you go, okay, well, when I was in good and sound judgment, when I was having a good and sound mind, not rushed by the stressors of this catastrophe, I said I would do this if this happened. You go back to that and then you weigh that and say, okay, does this still make sense for me to do this? And if it does make sense for you to do that, you absolutely act on that at that moment in time. When a person makes a will, you know, a will for their life and where their belongings go and what they want for the, uh, you know, the rest of their, uh, you know, time in their family, they have to be of sound judgment under no undue stress. And that's exactly when you need to make your playbook today. While you're of sound judgment under un no undue stress, even though we, of course, all have a lot of stress, make your playbook, folks. You need to do it. Uh, speaking of playbooks and sheets of paper, I want to get to a couple of your questions here. The first one is Jordan Gonzalez. says, question, what free resources or assistance programs would you use or would you recommend to the people who have lost their jobs, their housing, or transportation that would be the most practical in order to assist in prepping that won't further restrict your freedom or put you in a situation that would be detrimental given the time scale of coming events? Well, guys, lots of uh, free resources exist, and one of those, of course, is YouTube. Get on YouTube, learn life-saving skills, learn CPR, learn uh, you know how to deal with trauma, uh, learn cognitive behavioral therapy to try to help with the mental stress that comes along with understanding that this world is literally falling apart. Then, for physical resources, get out there and, and go... Uh, you know, spend your time volunteering at a pantry and, and say, hey, I'd like to volunteer here. I'm kind of in hard straits myself. Can I work out something where I volunteer and I, you know, get to take home some food? Then you're actually giving an investment of your time and you're getting something in return. And a lot of times the church organizations or other groups, they'll see that. And guys, it takes initiative to get ahead. And so they'll see those types of initiatives and they'll help you out. And then you can get together with other group members. You don't have to have like a hardcore 
we're all freaking Rambo style group. No, a whole bunch of old women are going to survive who are interested in canning, gardening, and taking care of each other and boosting each other up and giving each other courage and enemy and love and empathy uh, and uh, courage and empathy and love. And they're going to do this and they're going to survive. It doesn't have to be these survivalists that you know are saying if you don't have your fifty thousand rounds of ammunition and if you're not you know uh, eating your liver like that phony liver king every day, then you're not going to make it, you pansy simp. No, absolutely not. Instead, the people who are going to survive are somebody's grandma, somebody's aunt and uncle, a little baby who knows no better. So do your best to mix the preparedness and survival with the luck of what it takes to get ahead. Get out there, build a group, talk with people, get your community going. The first place to start is right here in the comment box. We've seen commenter after commenter who have meet, met people on here, sometimes physically, sometimes just over the internet. And they have built relationships outside of this community by email, staying in communication with each other, talking with each other. That's what we need, folks. And it's free today. Jump down there in the comment box, say hi to somebody. Say what you're looking for. And I'm not saying make this a dating app. Absolutely not. What I'm looking for is people who are like-minded like me and, and want to talk about what we can do to get ahead. Let's let's encourage each other to uh, you know, get out there and camp this week. What are you doing? Let's look at what you're building in your camping bag and those types of things. That's what we need. And that will help us see this disaster through. From my family to yours, please stay safe, remain vigilant, and keep watch. This week's Full Spectrum News is brought to us each and every day here on YouTube by you. For being here, knowing what's going on and accepting your burden of that weight. From all of our members on Patreon, please make sure you check out contingencymedical.com. Use the code FSS10 for real antibiotics. And you can check out nutrientsurvival.com forward slash FSS, my full spectrum survival. And you can use the code FSS15 for a discount on meals that are ready to eat. Diet changing, gut, gut bacteria changing plans, all these different things that are helping you get ready. See if it's right for you, but most of all, build your pantry, build your fire break, stay safe, and keep watch. So why we got a Larry Gun China in there? I ain't worried about China, fuck China.